Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Lori. And we're the Sex Positive Christian Feminists. Hello, and welcome to another Tuesday morning with the Sex Positive Christian Feminists. How are you doing, Lori? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Rachel? I am really exhausted because I haven't been able to sleep for the past week for whatever reason. It's been, <laughs> it's been rough. So I am still cozy in bed trying to like that soak makes... up the sleep vibes. Yeah, I actually should not have said good because I also feel like it's been ver- sleep has been really interesting for me. But I just talked to Brendan, Reverend Brendan Curran, for those who remember him. He's been on the show before about, about this. And he told me astrologically there's also some crazy stuff going on with the moon and there's going to be a full moon I think it's Wednesday when we're recording this at the end of May so yeah we're all supposed to be not sleeping so great if that makes you feel better and I feel like the (laughs) sun's been rising really early so like and there's no Mm. like way to keep the sun out of the bedroom all that kind of stuff it's yeah well today we are not talking about astrology we are talking about um We're talking about this, not, I don't know if it's phenomenon, but this thing that happens in patriarchy where women are afraid of increasing their numbers. We're afraid of having sex too soon and what that means about us as a potential partner. And in the reverse, how that means for men when they're looking for a partner and how that can mess up the ways that we identify what a valuable partner or like a good match for us is. And how that also affects relationships. I don't know if we have a title for this right now, but we were also talking about how that affects marriage. And it's like, oh, we're not having sex enough. So like this number about how much we're having sex, how we relate this somehow to our value, and how that just messes up and how that is from patriarchy and not from any good instinct. So yeah, I mean, one thing that came up when, when we were prepping for this show was about how... I met a woman at a party and she asked me, she's like, you seem so confident around sex. How do you feel comfortable with your number? Like, have you had a lot of sex? I was like, I have no clue how many men I've had sex with. Like, I'm clueless. (laughs) And I'm fine with it. But that was like her concern. And I, and my heart went out to her and many other women that I've heard say this is this fear that like, if my number's too high, I'm not desirable. What are your thoughts, Rachel? I mean, it's funny because I think about that and I'm like, well, I know I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but I I try to keep track of just the people because I feel like it's important to honor those moments um, and honor those people. But yeah, it's like, why do we even think that that's an important thing? It's like we're not sitting around counting how many how many friends we've had over the past over our lives, right? Or how many times we've told a particular story about our lives that feels really intimate. How many times have we shared that with somebody? Um, How many people have you hugged over the course of your life? Nobody's talking about that. Um, And it would be weird too. It would be very strange if someone was keeping a number of how many people they hugged in their heads at all times. Or how many people know about, you know, we all probably have like some sort of traumatic story in in our history where like, if you get to know us really well, you get to know that story. And that, how many people know that story? We're not keeping track of that. So what is it about this particularly physical, intimate, and emotionally potentially intimate experience that we're putting so much weight on 
And it's not that it's not important, right? I remember Barack Obama talking about, in a really beautiful way, he was talking to some, like, I think it was the prayer breakfast, probably, that they have every year that's with all the evangelical folks. And he said, you know, we need to be mindful of the fact that sex is sacred and remember the sanctity of sexuality. And it's like, yeah, that's super spot on. But he's somebody who's, like, so with it I think in so many ways even if you disagree with his politics I think that he's got it going on in so far as like understanding how to relate to people at different spiritual spaces and recognizing the sanctity of it without necessarily having to put on top of that all these very specific moral judgments around our actions so yeah that kind of gets us into a different category but well, I think what you're pointing at, which I really appreciate you saying, like, I remember the people. I don't necessarily know the number. And I think that that points to, like, a way of valuing sex with another person that actually makes it makes you m- more a- attractive. In a, you know, like, it's like kind of like this is what makes it – sex is not something about, like, keeping your number low. It's about something that's, like, increasing your experiences with amazing and beautiful people instead – and that shift in the in the understanding of it creates such a healthier understanding about sex. Um, because I think what patriarchy does is it makes sex into this, ex- and capitalism, patriarchy ma- married to capitalism, makes sex an exchange. And so it's, if I'm giving you my body, then you're going to give me protection or you're going to give me financial support. And within that idea, women are then losing when they have sex because they're giving something up. And then, of course, then on the flip side, in that exchange, men are losing somehow when they pay for dinner or because they're working while their wife is staying at home. Like, he somehow is losing because, like, he's giving something up in his, like, time and energy and finances Instead of like it being like a co-giving experience. One second. This is reminding me of that Craigslist ad for a sugar daddy. Um, that was so amazing. I have um, not seen this. I'm very Oh excited. my gosh. Okay. If I can find it, then we will quickly read it off. But basically what – I can't find it completely. Oh. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Let's see. Mm. Okay, maybe not. Anyway, so it's it was this, it made it made its rounds like maybe 5 or 10 years ago, and it was basically this woman who was 25 and said, "You know, I'm 25, I'm gorgeous, I've got all this stuff going on for me. What I'm looking for is a man who's like willing to wine and dine me and have sex with me." And hopefully has, you know, this range of income and whatnot. And then somebody responded to the advertisement. Maybe it was on Reddit or something. I don't know. And said, listen, you, over the course of your life, will only become less attractive. Like, you are 25 now. Eventually, you will be 35. And this is a totally different topic. But, like, the idea that women's value decreases as we age and as we get closer to menopause and go beyond it, somehow we... We lose our value because now we aren't young and our breasts aren't as perky or whatever the BS is that people say. And so 
basically it was like this is a an investment that will diminish in returns, but this man that you're trying to find will only probably continue to make more and more and more money and therefore will become more valuable. And so this is not a, an even exchange and this is not valuable exchange for him to enter into. And it's completely disgusting, but I think there's a little hint of that in so many of the ways that women and men in heterosexual relationships, especially when it involves sex and this idea of of offering sex in return for something else, that that comes up. And it can oftentimes be way more subtle than that ridiculous Craigslist ad or whatever it was, where it can be, I mean, when I was in New York City, it's like I didn't have enough money to pay for my rent and food and everything. So if I was asked out on a date, it was like, okay, great. That's one less thing I have to pay for. And that's really valuable to me. And that doesn't mean I'm going to like, it doesn't mean I'm going to have sex with the man, but it does mean that I'll go on the date and just, like, see what's going on there um, because of the fact that I need food, which is, like, terrible, but also just the truth of what was happening. Yes, I think that there is there is a way that – and I think that, that what that man is pointing to is kind of the lose-lose situation that this this problem sets up where men then have to question, is this woman going on a date with me because she wants to be with me? Or is she going on a date with me because she just wants to go to this restaurant or she just wants to, like, use me for my money? And the lose-lose situation for women is, is this guy only interested in having sex with me? And so then I have to withhold sex in order to find out if he really wants me. And then what I find also happens as a result of this is then you wait. And okay, and one thing that we also wanted to emphasize, if you are waiting to have sex for any reason, especially if you're like, I don't know the person well enough or I'm not ready to have sex or if you've only ever had one partner and you're happy with that, all those things, like this is not critiquing that. This is not an encouragement for like, everyone needs to go have lots of sex to dismantle the patriarchy. It's not going to work. Don't try it. <laughs> it will end up with a lot of, like, hurt. You're just going to find out more about the patriarchy. About is why it is that, that that is painful when you either buy into that narrative of, like, just have lots of sex and then you'll be fine. Or unthinkingly enter into the idea that, like, I shouldn't be having sex with people even if I want to because of these other things. Right. So the, when I hear women talk about withholding sex in order to have a committed relationship, that like if you have sex with him right away, he's not going to see you as a dateable person. So you should wait to have sex with him so that he takes you more seriously. And what I find with people like that is that they oftentimes get in a relationship where they're hanging out with someone for like two months. They like them. They have sex with them. There's no compatibility there. They're disappointed. They break up. Both people are hurt. And both people kind of wasted two months because they didn't, they really should have just not been dating in the first place. But there's this fear that if we, if I had sex with him right away, then I would have had sex with another person and then I'm less dateable and that's a waste. And it's really contributing to, it's really just ultimately hurting two people instead of allowing for like fruitful relationships to blossom yeah and I think back to 
I don't know if this will probably go up after our Lee Harrington interview, but Lee talks about when we were speaking with him about how there's, you know, somebody is somebody came up to him after a workshop and said, Hey, I'm really interested in doing this thing. Would you be willing to do this thing with me? And he was like, well, do you want to do this thing period? And that's really what this is about. Do you want to be intimate with me or do you want to be intimate with me and do this thing with me? Like which of those three is it? And I think, the way that he put that made me sort of sit and reconsider how do we make those decisions around who we are physically intimate with and how we're physically intimate with them. Are we looking at the person, the action, the specific combination of those things? And I think a lot of times we're, when we get stuck in this question of can I have sex with this person? Will it increase my numbers? Will that make me less attractive? What will, you know, we're no longer in the present. We're thinking about the future potential perception of what's happening in the present as opposed to being present to like what's real and what's authentic in my way of relating to this individual who's in front of me right now what do I really want from this experience and then also how can I ensure that the other person or other people are also in on my desire and are consenting to be a part of that that process as well and vice versa you know because if they just want I mean, one of the biggest ways that we get into regret around who we have sex with is like, I want this to be the start of a relationship and the other person wants this to simply be a one night stand. That's not going to work out. So how do we make sure that we're, we're evenly paired in that regard, in that regard? Right. I think sex has become in some way like a tool that we use instead of something that we experience. And it has ultimately led to a lot of destruction, I think, for people when we're not aware of why we're having sex and what we're hoping to gain from it. And then also like what we're expecting from the other person. I think that there's also, and I I guess I, I feel this for myself because when I was single, I would have situations where I would get really insecure about liking sex and having sex. And I would want to like, well, maybe I need to stop doing this and I need to like find someone to like be in a relationship with. And then I would almost force a relationship to happen because I was like, well, you were the next person I had sex with. So you get to be my partner. (laughs) And you're like, that's not really going to work out. No. Especially because that next person is usually always the person where you're like, oh man, this was not. Shoot. No. Because I've totally done that too where it's like okay, we need to reel this back in. And it's from like, what, what is that desire to reel it back? Mm-hmm. And so I end up meeting someone who's nice, hang out with them for a bit, hook up. It's not that great. But then it's like, well, I chose them. So I got to make this work. And I find that also that attitude is so approved of in our society because we see – we see the begin if, if once a red flag shows up, and I don't mean red flag like, oh, it's a sign that they're a narcissist, but just a red flag like this is not a compatible relationship. This is, this is a friendship. This is someone you enjoy spending time with, but this is not your partner. This is not your, your man or your woman or your person. Um, we are like, but maybe we can make it work. Like maybe we can figure it out. Maybe we can talk about it. And that sometimes is true, but sometimes – it's just not. Like sometimes 
we're just forcing something to work that we're really not supposed to have work and that's okay because I also think this is coupled with a glorification of monogamy in our in our culture that I think also hurts us because it has this idea that like I have to be in a relationship with someone right now and it has to be my life partner and I have to be committed to them and be with one person for the rest of my life and that's just not the way most people's sex life works even if they're monogamous they normally have multiple par- partners even if they only have sex in marriage yeah and the idea that almost it's better to be partnered with one person and have it be looking conventional on the outside than it would be to be more exploratory and actually like being really discerning about what your decisions are and have it look unconventional which of course goes back to patriarchy because it's all about control um and controlling specifically female bodies and you know, all the stuff that comes up just basically when we think about that around, like, you know, the the very basic things around pregnancy and, like, paternity and that kind of stuff. I think it's all, it all sort of comes back from that idea of trying to protect, ultimately trying to protect men's egos from having to raise children that were maybe not their own. Oh, that's really interesting. Because the idea that... If you have sex with someone and they have kids in, and you they get pregnant and you're not the primary man in those children's lives, or you have, you meet a woman and the children that she has, you're responsible for raising, you're responsible for caring for, and they're not your DNA, it, like, that, that goes back all the way to, like, serfdom and, like, I own the land, I own the cows, I own the children, I own the women. Like... That's so deeply rooted. <laughs> it's gross. But I think there's a little bit of that that, like, this is the way that it plays out right now, is that even if you're not going to control, you know, even if a man's not looking at it immediately consciously in their mind about that, it's still like, oh, well, if this person's had a whole bunch of sexual partners prior to me and has been sexually free in that way, there's a chance that she may continue to do that behavior in such a way where I would get burdened with whatever. There's like a trust component there that isn't wholly thought of, perhaps. And obviously, like, this is all like subconscious stuff. So it's not like there's any man sitting there. There probably is someone out there. But it's not like a lot of the men that people are dating who seem like relatively awesome, you know, contemporary gentlemen um, aren't. They're not thinking this consciously, but it's maybe playing in the background subconsciously and shaping their behaviors or shaping their ideas and thus also shaping women's perceptions of themselves when they're in relationship and how they manage to maneuver through them. Well, it's also, I want a lady in the streets, but a freak in the bed. And the one thing I find so fascinating about that is a woman who has, and not to stereotype, but like if you've had more sexual experience, you're going to be more experienced with sex, more comfortable with freak. Quote, if you can't see me, I'm putting my fingers in quotations, freak sex, you're going to be more open to exploring it because you already own your sexuality and you're already confident in your sexuality. So there's a woman named Kasha Urbaniak, and I think I've talked about her before, but she just posted this week about this idea that we have a myth in our society that 
women, she used like the sleeping beauty metaphor and the idea that in the Disney, and she's referring specifically to the Disney version, um, that this woman is asleep and then she gets kissed and like her entire sexuality wakes up and that we're waiting in some way. We hold on, we keep our sexuality in a tight little box and then once we meet a man, whether it's in marriage, which I think is what purity culture perpetuates, but I think patriarchy in general perpetuates this idea that then like that one man, like your booming sex goddess, the moment you start sleeping with him and like it's all like there and you give the best blowjobs and you're up for anal and you're like ready for like it all when you like weren't doing any of it until then and you weren't even thinking about it or even fantasizing about it until then and like it's a false reality and it's a wholly unfair like goal to place on women to be able to meet those desires without owning their own sexuality so unfair and on top of it even for the men who are in those circumstances especially if you're coming from like a christian background where neither partner has been really having more exploratory sex prior to their being in relationship like a lot of those actions let's say just take anal for example anal takes a little bit of like preparation it's there's a little bit of 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 inside knowledge you've got to have about how you do that in a way that is safe and sanitary and and all those sorts of things not that it's like dangerous not if if somebody is listening and they're like curious about it don't it's not dangerous in in a scary way it's just like with anything you've got to learn how to brush your teeth yeah you gotta do some research beforehand there's some steps there's some prep and there's like anything else it's easier to learn this from somebody who's already experienced it. Like, you know. So if you go into a relationship, and it can be very exciting if two people are totally newbies to be able to, like, explore together how to do this thing and sort of laugh at the fact that you're going to mess up and it's going to not work out the first or second, you know, one or two times that you try or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have this also really rampant idea that sex is natural, that sex should be easy, and that it is going to be something where all of a sudden you just turn on the switch and, wow, now we can all have sex in all the ways that we want to have sex. And it's going to be super easy and fun and exciting and whatever. And so the second that anything doesn't feel great or the second that somebody feels a little awkward or the second that there's like a noise that makes that's made or there is a sensation that happens or there's... I mean, I don't know. The thing that always comes up for me is like fart sounds that happen as bellies rub together. Like the second that sort of thing happens, it all falls apart because it wasn't the beautiful, magical experience that one was anticipating or expecting. Um, And that's just unrealistic. And we have to start looking at sex really as a skill as much as it is a natural action that we partake in especially if somebody has desires to do things that are a little bit not vanilla exactly I think there is and that expectation that I think also sets men up for failure because now they have a bar where they need to sexually awaken the person that they're with and so now they're not 
because it's a skill. It's something that you have to practice and learn. And so now they're feeling like failures. They're not viable partners because they're not fulfilling the sex desire when it really, it's, it's just not about that. It's about having fun and, and figuring it out and, and like that it can be a good thing if you decide to wait and explore and have fun and not have these expectations around it. And it can also be a good thing if you're choosing to not wait and you're choosing to do it with that guy who just bought you a beer because he looks really great in that beard. And so like, <laughs> but to be able to enjoy the fact that like, this is just an, ex this is an experience that is good and beautiful, but like, there's no bar. It's just about, it's just about having fun and enjoying it. It's, it's about pleasure. It really is just about pleasure. And however that looks for the two people that are in front of each other, or however many people happen to be in front of each other at that moment. Um, I don't want to be couple-ist. Couple-ist? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like two I don't want to be monogamist, but then that like means something else. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of times, because of the fact that it does take practice for this stuff to work out, and we're not even just like super crazy stuff. Like we're talking even to learn to, to go down on someone in a way that's really pleasurable for you and them. That takes practice. It takes practice, period. End of story. And it also takes practice. We talk about this in Tantra where the first step is to learn how to receive and learn how to receive pleasure because that's actually very challenging. And I'm thinking of so, so many women where it's like, Yes, of course, they want to receive pleasure, but the fact that a man would be, you know, having oral to genital contact with them feels terrifying because, like, what if it tastes bad? What if it smells bad? What if it whatever? And also, if you are one of those women, taste yourself sometime. You'll realize it doesn't taste that bad. And then, of course, you can smell your fingers and realize, like, yeah, okay, whatever. It smells a little human, but it's not outlandishly terrible. Um, and men like that smell. Like, right. they like, they like, they like vulvas. If men who are heterosexual are sexually free, they enjoy that smell. Um, and if they don't, it's a result of the patriarchy. And it's them needing to grow in that way. Or he's has repressed homosexual tendencies that he's not explored. I don't know. I feel like I find men like, straight men like vulvas. I guess that's my point. And women <laughs> tend to not be like, we have hangups around our vulvas, which is, I guess I'm going tangential, but we have hangups around our vulvas that are connected as well if you're a straight woman to like, you're not turned on by a vulva. And that's okay. Mm. Men, straight men are turned on by vulvas. I guess right. that's just my point. All you've got to do is love your vulva as much as you like love looking at your hand and you're like, oh yeah, those are the shapes of my fingernails, even though they're slightly different from somebody else's. I say that as somebody who's always been jealous of like, I hate my nail beds and I think other people's are better. I know it's like weird, right? Anyway, I've learned to love them, but it's, it, it's been a journey <laughs> to love my hands. Um, yeah. So when there's this expectation of needing to actually learn how to do something, it can, it can be really intimidating. And I think with men in specific, because sometimes they have an expectation of being the leader in that space that it can be extra hard for them to be able to take those risks and potentially quote unquote fail. Um, 
because of the expectation that like they're leading the female through this space. And then it can be additionally really hard if you're the woman in a relationship who has more experience or who's got more, you know, just even more openness to exploration, more comfort in that space to be the leader because we're taught to not be the leader. Um, yeah, and that gets a little bit into like who wants to be dominant and who wants to be submissive within the space and how do we play with that alongside of experience. Yes, and we'll definitely probably have Leon again to talk more about those topics. So I think that'll also be really exciting. Um, so go back and listen to Lee's episode if you are curious about Dom's Hub experiences. Uh, it also makes me consider to the idea that this this expectation that's tied into sex where I think men have been sold this fantasy that they're supposed to have or that they I think secretly really want is this idea that we have that sex is not supposed to be tied to commitment and I think if like a lot of people are listening to this they're like what guy wouldn't love it if a woman is like let's go home tonight like what guy wouldn't love it if a woman was like let's not talk let's just have sex but what I think this this standard sets up for us is that men then are, don't are afraid a little bit of that idea because because they have so many expectations of like, well, is she having sex with other people? Is she's going to deceive me if we end up having sex and she gets pregnant, like we were talking about before, or is is there going to be some type of abuse or use or something like that? Because we have these these odd exchanges with one another that there becomes a fear. And then on the flip side, and I think we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, and I don't remember which one at all. I know we were at my boyfriend's parents' house because I remember where I was sitting, but I don't remember which one it was that we recorded there. Um, but there also becomes this like weird expectation where – we don't communicate what we want so then women expect a relationship after casual sex and that's equally forcing a man into a relationship as it would be a man manipulating a woman into having sex and so that's kind of like becomes this space where men don't feel comfortable with casual sex any more than women do because it's like what's the game we're playing here and then we all end up having hang-ups yes and I Love Dr. Jana. Um, her last name is very hard to pronounce, but it starts with a V. Her dissertation was specifically on casual sex. Um, and what she talks about in that and what she found was that basically casual sex can be really detrimental to both men and women unless it's very clearly defined what the hopes, what the hopes for the outcome are. And that outcome could be we will not, this is a one-time moment. It could be this is just a casual thing because we're not ready to be in relationship, or it could be this is leading to a relationship. And, and, and if there's not that conversation around the expectations about where are we going in this and having that be the same, that's where we get into problems of broken hearts and, and feeling hurt and having hurt feelings and that kind of stuff. I know something else we wanted to talk about was even sex within marriage and having or even in a, in a relationship and having an expectation of how many times a week are we having sex, how much sex is appropriate and how much sex is not appropriate and how that is also a result of patriarchal understandings of what sex is for and why it's there. 
Do you have any? You're nodding a lot, Lori. Take it away. (laughs) Well, I think that we have this idea, especially if those of us who grew up in purity culture, but again, even if you didn't, this idea that sex is supposed to be in a happy, good, healthy marriage, abundantly flowing at all times. And if it isn't, I think a lot of women take on the responsibility that like, oh, I'm not attractive enough. I'm not doing a good job or something's I'm failing in some way. And for the men, it can be a flip side. Like I'm not pleasuring her enough. She doesn't want me. It gets all messy and sticky. When in reality, sex is an ebb and flow thing that happens, it comes, it goes. And, and also, if you want to be having more sex and you're not, I think it goes back to communication. But also, there's a feeling, I think, for some women that they have to, that they don't, just because they say I do, it doesn't get released, where there's like a fear around sex and like a shame around sex. And that happens for men as well. But I hear about it happening more often for women, where there's a shame around sex because yeah we're taught so much that we're not supposed to enjoy it and those those hang-ups that happen in when we're single and we're dating don't disappear just because we are in a relationship they still thrive and they still exist we just need to now we just have the same kinks we're just running into with the same person and it's so complicated because I think there's a lot of times when when this happens more with women than with men but it can happen with anyone where it's like there's a desire to enter into a sexual encounter and so there's like the initial you know whatever you're doing to initiate and the start of it and then something happens and turn on just leaves like arousal just leaves um and that can be really distressing and very challenging for people What is also true is that there can be times when if you just stay in the moment a little bit longer, it will come back. And so sometimes that's not true, but sometimes it will. It is true. And so it's it's sort of this dance of really practicing and learning what your body wants and needs. And I know that a lot of people love Emily's book, um, Come As You Are. I don't know her personally. I didn't just use her first name because I'm friendly with her. I used it because I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Um, But Income As You Are talks about these like brake pedals and gas pedals and that sort of thing. And that's great, but you don't know what those are until you've explored it. And so there's sort of this like chicken and egg problem where it's if you don't have the experience, you won't know what, what you really need or want in order to be getting aroused enough to be able to enter into the experience really fully and if you're constantly thinking about what's happening in the moment and am I feeling more turned on or less turned on because you're anxious about what it means to you to be in a sexual experience which is ultimately where a lot of that anxiety comes from when it comes to those sorts of spaces it can be like what does this experience mean right now in this moment what does this mean about me that I'm having this experience all those sorts of thoughts sort of flood in if you're coming mostly from like a purity culture standpoint. At least it's been my experience. Maybe that doesn't ring true for you, Lori, and maybe it's not true for, okay, Lori's nodding. Um, that those thoughts enter into your head and then you're not present in the moment and then you can't be present to your sensations and then you can't allow your body to take over 
which is the key piece of having good sex, is to be able to shut off the brain and let your body guide you, which we are not taught to do in any other space in our lives. If you are maybe a dancer, maybe you got that a little bit, but only if you got to like the point of, of learning contemporary dance and having a lot of freedom of, of intuition and improvisation. But if you just studied ballet for years and years, you might be in touch with your body in some ways, but you've been taught to use your body in very specific ways. If you're a runner, you've been taught to use your body in very specific ways, but not necessarily to listen to its intuition which that is a whole other episode, but such a key piece of having good sex. Well, I think when I was able to tap into my desire, which is one of the reasons I think we both teach this to our clients is like how to step into desire is because we, when I first learned to understand my desire was when I started to be able to start having good sex or was the beginning of me noticing that I wasn't necessarily having the type of sex I wanted to be having and it allowed me to also know who I wanted to have sex with so much better and when I wanted to not be having sex with them anymore and if I wanted to have sex with them again or if I didn't want to have sex with them again it allowed me to like really listen into what what I wanted and I think there's so much more wisdom in in our bodies than just simply um am I turned on right now? I think there was also wisdom in my body where it's like, I would be on a date with like a really attractive man and like my pussy was like, woohoo! And like (laughs) my stomach was like, get out of your car right now. And so just because like there was like a feeling of turn on, there was like my entire body was like, this is not a good situation. And so like, sure, he was hot. But it didn't necessarily mean that, like, it was where I wanted to be. And that doesn't mean that he was going to, like, physically hurt me or anything like that. It means that, like, he was not necessarily, like, the right person for me to be spending my time with. And to be able to energetically tap into that, I think, is something that women need to know for, like, so many things, but is so vital for our experiences with sex and sexuality. And we've been cut off from our bodies, associating our sex and sexuality as something that's going to get us a man instead of something that exists for us so much that we don't even think about it. We've given so much of that turn on and that desire over to men that we don't even, that feeling, we end up judging it for ourselves. Like, oh, I'm judging him. I'm being critical. I should give him a chance. I should hang out with him again. Like all these statements that are just not rooted in truth because we're not trusting our own selves to know what we want and what we desire. And that is 100% the antidote to this predicament that we've just talked about for an hour is like, can we own our own sexuality first? Our own desires, our own pleasure, our own, you know, our own vulvas, loving them as much as men love them if they are heterosexual. Um, that like, that is, that's the key piece is that when you can take that ownership for yourself, really, and it starts truly with touching yourself. Like one of the things that I tell so many clients is like, don't just grab your vibrator. Like if you're somebody who loves your vibrator, that's awesome. I'm not anti-vibrators. I love mine too. But Get familiar with your hand touching yourself. 
and really explore that way because that takes that takes so much of the and if you got a little ick factor there push through the ick factor like totally just push through it and get to know your body explore your vulva explore your breasts explore whatever part of your body feels like it would feel nice to touch even if it's not going to initially feel like arousal to you and that's like such a key piece because so many women are like but i am touching myself but i'm not feeling anything and it's like you are feeling something it may not be the sensation that you were anticipating but in the same way that i'm holding my hands together right now like i'm feeling my fingertips against the backs of my hands i'm feeling something right now it's not arousing to me but it's a sensation and so being conscious of those sensations and getting to learn your body in that way, literally with your hands, that you've got that tactile feedback immediately. And you're in so much control, right? Like if you're using a vibrator, you're not really in control of that vibrator. You can like turn up the speed down or up or do whatever it does. But when you're touching yourself, you're 100% in control of what's happening. And that's how we start to gain familiarity with our bodies and gain love for them and gain the, all the experience that you need to start with in order to be able to feel empowered when you come into a situation with another person. I think one of the most empowering experiences for me and empowering experiences for men that I've been with is when I've stopped them and I said, hold on one second, let me show you how to do this. And I would then be like, go get some lube. Let's figure this out. And like, let me little sh literally show you how I make myself orgasm or how I turn myself on. And the fact, like I would see in their eyes, like this, like, I just learned something so incredible and I just got this gift because the responsibility was like not assumed of me. And it was, it was, I was shown how to give this woman pleasure instead of having to figure it out on my own and then just fail. And I think that when we know our bodies, it also just opens the door so much more for the men that we're with to be able to really be our partners in the bedroom, not necessarily our life partners, like in the bedroom partners, because then we are able to like pleasure one another instead of it being like you pleasure me and then you're going to get like one orgasm at the end and then we're going to be done and we're going to go get ice cream it's like a fully enriching experience for both people that's everything we have for you all today thank you for joining us as always subscribe like and share and if you are enjoying what you're hearing we have a patreon the link is in the bio below please join our Patreon and so we can continue to bring you these episodes about sex, sexuality, and you can follow us as well on Instagram at sexpositivechristianfeminists. You can find Rachel at rachel.alba.coaching and me, Lori, at Lori Kimmerly. If you're interested in learning more about feminist theology and erotic spirituality, check out Lori's programs and blog at www.lorikimmerly.com. And for Christian sex coaching, visit Rachel at www.sexwithspirit.com. We are the Sex Positive Christian Feminists, and we will see you next week for another conversation about sexuality, spirituality, and feminism. Bye.